Good, good, good. Uh, last thing, if you are a small group leader, community group leader, uh, we have that lunch today. If you didn't email me back, it hurt a little bit, but I'd still love to have you uh, be here with us as we talk about the story and all that's going on with that. All right, I think that's about it. One more thing, just I know some of you have just sort of like tuned in and joined us for the first time uh, this year, and here we are, it's January's wrapping up, and we've been in a pretty technical kind of series. Uh, this year, we're going through uh, an entire study of Scripture. We're calling it uh, Word, and these first four weeks, we're asking these real simple questions like, what is Scripture? Where did it get, come from? How did we get it? How should I understand it? And so we've talked about how Scripture is inspired by God, how it was written by men. Today we're going to look at how it was collected by the faithful. This is where we're going to talk about the process of how all the books that are in your Bible actually got to be included in your Bible. And so this is a little more technical than I would normally talk about on a Sunday morning. Um, and, and, you know, for some of you, you're loving this, and that's awesome. And others of you, you're going, this is just so much. I understand, too. Uh, but next week, we're going to start in our journey through the story, and we're going to go through, through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's going to take us all here. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you don't have a book, grab one out there um, and tune in for that. But today, we're getting into it here. Um, let's see. All right. Yeah, okay. Red sitting there like that. All right, perfect. All right. Well, let's pray, and then, and then we'll get into it. Was that one the first one you have? Yeah, that's good. Let's do that one. All right. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna we're gonna say that together. Yeah, we're doing this live, friends. All right. Jesus, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word, for your spirit, which um, which speaks to us through it, God. Today. I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, that you would challenge us, Lord, to think um, maybe in new ways about Scripture, and that, Lord, you would increase our confidence and love for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Good idea, Mason. Let's do the theme verse. All right. So theme verse is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is the theme verse for the whole year. Let's say it together. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Uh, the two words I love in this are that it is inspired and that it's useful. It's not just this idea like ethereal that comes from God, but no, it is a practical word for us today. Now, as we think about putting the manuscripts together and we think about the canon, I've got a visual graphic here of a hot air balloon and a bunch of little balloons. This is going to be great. All right, so this hot air balloon represents uh, all of the New Testament manuscripts we have, uh, like old ones, 6,000, 6,000. That's a lot of manuscripts. If you go up there, the next highest is 650. And if I remember correctly, that's the Iliad by Homer. And, and I, I show this to you because scholars would say that we have enough manuscripts of the Iliad by Homer to have a very accurate understanding of what the original was. If that's the case, and they're much you know, further removed time-wise, we've got New Testament manuscripts that are much, much earlier, and we've got 6,000 of them. So whenever people are like, I just don't know that I trust what's in the Bible, it's like, no, like, there's a boatload of these things. And not only is there a boatload of them, but, like, they're available for you and me to look at. Not that any of us would really understand, like, ancient Greek uncial, you know, writing. Um, I mean, that's where I bought some software after I left seminary and forgot all my Greek. Um, you know, that's just reality. But 
But if you wanted to and you wanted to learn it, you sure could go find those. Most of the stuff's been like scanned. It's online. You can look it up. You can see. Uh, I've even got a book uh, that has, uh, you know, the committee of the Greek manuscript that was used to be translated into English, why they pick certain readings over others, and they categorize all this stuff. It's very transparent scholarship because if we really believe it's God's word, then we want to be honest about it. We want to be transparent about it because we have confidence in it. So when we talk about the scripture and, and putting all this together, I want you to realize we're talking about a lot of texts, a lot of scholarship that's going into this. So people are, you know, want to know this question, like, how did we get the books that are in there? Like, who picked the winners? And, like, what happened to the losers? Like, they got voted off the island. You know, what, what happened? And the answer is this. It said the formation of the New Testament canon, the formation of the Bible, it happened organically. It happened very organically. Nobody really sat around and said, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to pick the Bible. That didn't happen. Okay, uh, what happened was you had a lot of different letters passed around and a lot of different churches and leaders within the church would grab certain ones and hold on to some and value them and read them and copy them. So let me just kind of imagine some scenarios with you, um, you know, so that way you kind of get a feel for how this is happening in real time organically. So you've got a guy like uh, Luke, he writes the gospel, Luke, but it, you know, it wasn't like Luke's gospel this time, it was just like the gospel, the one that Luke wrote, and Luke may have passed it on to some of Paul's churches, and Paul's churches got this, and they're like, man, this is really great, this tells us all the stories of Jesus that we want to know, and that's awesome. Awesome. And then after that, uh, you know, they get a letter from Paul. Maybe they're in, in Ephesus. And so they get the letter, you know, that we call the Ephesians today. And that letter's there. And so they've got, you know, Luke and they've got Ephesians. And they're pretty happy because they think, oh, this is really great. Well, then all of a sudden, one day, somebody from Colossae comes over and is like, oh, you've got a different letter than I have. We've got a letter too. How about you copy your letter and send it to us, and we'll copy our letter and send it to you, and then we'll each have each other's letters. And they're like, this sounds really great. Then we'll have a lot of Paul's letters. And then you mix John into the mix, and maybe, maybe somebody comes from one of John's churches in Asia Minor that he's been working with, and they show up, and they're like, oh, hey, Luke's gospel's pretty awesome, but you should see John's. John's gospel is amazing. And they're like, we don't have John's gospel. And they're like, well, you should get a copy. And they're like, but Barnes & Noble doesn't exist yet, and you can't buy it on Kindle because the Internet's like, Al Gore hasn't invented it yet. And, um, and so they're like, well, how about this? We'll copy it for you and send it to you if you send us a copy of Luke's. And so this is how this is happening. The church is copying and pass, pacing, pa pa passing, pa passing books around. And this is, all, this is all happening in real time. And eventually they start to collect collections. You know, they start to sort of gather around and people start to gravitate and grab certain ones that they like and, and certain ones that speak to them and certain ones that they think is real are really important to have and so this is what's happening now paper is scarce you know literacy is limited so you know uh, you have smaller amounts of manuscripts people always wonder like why didn't the gospel of mary make it in well partly because it's weird and like uh, why didn't the gospel of thomas make it in For those of you that don't spend enough time watching history channel like after dark um, let me explain this to you. History Channel's weird, by the way. Like, everything from, like, 8 a.m. to about 6 p.m. is, like, legitimate history. And then after that, I was watching one on, on Hulu the other day, and I, Jenny and I were watching this, and I was like, just wait for it. Aliens. Aliens are coming. And she's like, it's Fort Knox. I'm like, no, seriously, aliens are coming. Five minutes later, they're like, and then a UFO appeared over Fort Knox. And I was like, I 
called it. So it's history from eight to six, and then after that, it's the UFO channel. Anyways, where were we? UFO channel. Oh, man, I got in late from a wedding last night, so it's a little scattered. Oh, I got it. Yeah, why don't we have the Gospel of Thomas? Well, because the early church didn't, didn't really believe in it. It, it's, it's a little bit later. We'll talk about that in a second. But the Gospel of Thomas has some stories in it like when Jesus was a little boy, he got into a fight with this other kid. And when he got into a fight with the other kid, he said, you know what? You should drop dead. And because he's Jesus, it worked. And so the little boy drops dead, and he, Jesus runs back home, and Joseph comes and finds him, and he says, Jesus, um, you can't kill people. It's wrong. I need you to go back over there. And I need you to raise him from the dead. And so Jesus is like, all right, fine. And Jesus goes back over there, and sure enough, he raises this kid from the dead. These are the kinds of stories, they're kind of outlandish, a lot of fun, that you find in the Gospel of Thomas. Now, some people go like, well, what, what is that? Well, don't you want to know what Jesus was like as a kid? Like, hasn't that, like, consumed a lot of imagination of Christians for a long time? Like, what was Jesus like as a toddler? Like, did he have terrible twos? You know, what was he like in grade school? What was Jesus like as a teenager? We don't know these things. And so the Gospel of Thomas, as far as I, I think we can tell, was, was probably a bit of, of devotional fiction. I, I don't know that Thomas himself, or whoever purports to be Thomas, because it's probably not Thomas, it's much too late, uh, is probably going, you know, here's some imaginary thoughts about what it would be like to be Jesus. I mean, we've done stuff like this right with ben-hur and the robe and these kinds of things and and so they record these and they pass them around they're like oh yeah that's kind of fun to think about but nobody takes it super seriously uh, and probably not even back in the time when i taught uh intro to new testament i would say this imagine if if you can like a giant volcano like uh, like opening up in the middle of bowling green this is back when we had family video and like perfectly encapsulating family video in a dome of lava and then 2,000 years later, uh, archaeologists come and they break in and they find this perfectly preserved family video. And they're like, oh my goodness, look at this treasure trove of documents from the, you know, this ancient time. And they find the movie Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. And they like write papers on it and they showed it at conferences and they're like, not only was Abraham Lincoln a really awesome president, but we now have proof that he was a vampire slayer and they view this more as a history or they're like man those people were weird they really thought this see this is where we're at we're kind of you know we've moved a little past the genre gets a little confused and so people are like well so were all these manuscripts suppressed by the church no just like abraham lincoln vampire slayer good luck trying to find a copy of that i mean the same thing's true with with the gospel of thomas People are like, oh, yeah, I read it. It's fine. You know, if you can get a copy, good. But if not, no big deal. And so this is what's happening. The Old Testament canon by this point in time has largely been formed by the Jewish people. Josephus writes about this. We don't have a lot of time to get into it. Uh, but at the end of the day, the uh, New Testament folks and the Christian uh, church accepts the, the Jewish canon as it is. Now, I do want to pause just for a moment to talk about the Apocrypha. Uh, those are those books that come in between Old and New Testament. Some of you grew up in the Catholic Church that was, like, in your Bible. And people want to know, like, what's, what's, what about the Apocrypha? And the answer is, like, the reason we don't accept it as inspired within our church and majority of churches is that the Jewish folks didn't accept it as inspired. And then people are like, well, why not? Were they like, is there a conspiracy? Are they, like, suppressing it? Because I watch History Channel after 8 p.m., and I know what's happening in the world. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not like that. Um, it's just that they, they didn't 
ever view it as inspired. I say that because the writers didn't view it as inspired. And here's about to happen. The first quote on our screen from the Apocrypha, as far as I know, historically speaking. First Maccabees, here we go. So here's what the author says. It says, there was great distresses in Israel, such as had not been since the time that the prophets ceased to appear among them. Why is that key? It's because the author doesn't recognize himself as a prophet. You read like Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, Ezekiel. These people are like, this is what God has to say. They're like, this isn't what Isaiah has to say. This is what God has to say. And the author of Maccabees is like, yeah, God's kind of stopped talking. Um, and so, you know, that's where we find ourselves. Uh, one more quote here, Second Maccabees. This one's kind of, it's kind of funny. I find it funny. It says, if it is well told and to the point, in other words, about his book, he's wrapping up here, that is what I myself desired. If it's poorly done and mediocre, well, that was the best I could do. Okay, that's it. He just says like, that's it. That's the best I could do. Couldn't do any better. Sorry, wish, wish I'd done better. But this, this is what you get. Um, you know, you get what you pay for. There it is. And then he finishes up with this kind of poetic thing. He says, for just as it's harmful to drink wine alone or again to drink water alone. They didn't know why. They just knew that if you drank water, you got sick. But if you mixed wine with water, it didn't. Now we know it's bacteria. Anyways, but while wine mixed with water is sweet and delicious and enhances one's enjoyment, so also the style of the story delights the ears of those who read the work. And here will be the end. Uh, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, my, my work is good, but you shouldn't have it just by itself. You should add it with other things. You should have it with scripture. You should mix it together. That's how you get things together. So this is the attitude of the apocryphal writers about their own work. So when you're like, well, why don't we take it seriously? It's because they didn't take it seriously. They didn't say this is God's word. They said, this is, you know, this is the best I could do. This is what I got for you. Okay, this is where we are. So you go back to the New Testament. I'm going to give you five things. I knew this was going to happen. I've got so much stuff here to share. We're going to go through it quickly. you got five sort of criteria that the early church will use to examine whether or not a manuscript should be in the Bible. Now, I want to, again, be careful because nobody sat down and decided. And you can't find this list of five things like as a scorecard someplace. And they're like, well, you know, uh, a, you know Ephesus voted eight on this, and, but Colossae only voted four. Uh, what we see is that these bishops and priests and church people are writing letters to each other. And they're saying, hey, you should use this letter, uh, and here's why. Or maybe a, a bishop's going to write to a priest in a more rural uh, communities and say, hey, listen, this is what Paul said, and, and we quote this as authoritative, and we see that they start to view and regard these books and these manuscripts and these gospels as inspired by God. And as they talk about them, here are the five things that are important to the early church as they are discerning what is God's word. And that's key. They're not deciding what God's word is. They're discerning what it is. And so here we go. First one is this, is that it's apostolic. It has to be connected to an apostle or a close associate. So you've got Matthew the apostle writes the gospel. That's, that's easy. You've got John the apostle writes John. That's easy. Luke, he writes under the authority of Paul. Mark likely writes under the authority of Peter. And so if you work your way through the New Testament, you can see that all of these are apostolic or connected to an apostle. And, and this sort of fits how the early church worked. If you'll notice in the book of Acts, as they start to have discussions about, you know, how Jewish do you have to be to become Christian, what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem to where many of the apostles and now elders are, and they're asking them. They see that there's an authority, a spiritual authority inside of the apostles, and so they want these books to have that. Uh, second is that it has to be accepted broadly in the church. 
um, East and West Church have different thoughts about what should and should not uh, be included. And we're not talking about major differences. Like Hebrews and James are debated a little bit. Second Peter is tossed up there and a couple others. Uh, as bishops are writing letters saying, hey, these are the things you should read. These are the gospels you should read. Some make those lists, some don't. Some of it might be that that letter hadn't traveled that far at that point in time. And others of it is just they were just, they had questions about it. And so there's books that, you know, East and West didn't quite agree on. The Latin church and the Greek church didn't agree on. Uh, and so what makes it into the New Testament is only those that we're 100% certain about. Third thing it had to do is it had to align with Orthodox teaching. If you've grown up in like a Bible church or the Protestant church, I'm about to say something that's going to blow your minds. And I'm going to give you a second to process this. The church is older than the Bible. Just take a moment and gather yourself. People are like, well, we're a Bible-believing church. And you talk to an Orthodox priest, and they're like, that's great. What were you doing for the first, like, 400 years when the Bible wasn't formed? And they're like, I don't know. Okay, the church is, is the people of God collected around the story of Jesus. And the apostles passed on their teaching. We now have it in an amazing gift of Scripture. But before that, you had parts of it were floating around. You had, um, you know, clergy who were connected to the apostles were helping keep things aligned in orthodox teaching. And then you had another thing that we don't do a lot in our church, but you had creeds. If you've ever heard of the Apostles' Creed, they call it that because that's about how old it is. It could easily have been written during the time of the apostles. Some people say the apostles themselves wrote it. That's very suspect. But it definitely comes from that very early time. And you can memorize something like the Apostles' Creed. You know, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it goes on. But that's something you can memorize and take with you. And so as the early church is looking at all these letters going around, they're going, well, does it line up with this teaching that we have from Scripture, or that, that we have from the apostles as contained in the church, guarded by the creeds? Uh, does it align with that? Fourth thing is it had to have an appearance of inspiration. Yes, this is the most subjective of all traits, but there was just a sense as the bishops and the priests and the church were reading these, and as they would read these letters in the church, they would go, man, there's just something powerful about that. The Word of God is powerful. And so it had to have the appearance of inspiration. Fifth and finally, it had to have an antiquity, an early date of writing. So, like, no matter how much you love use some Max Lucado today, you know, fast forward 2,000 years, it's not going to be tucked in like after Revelation, okay? It's just not going to be there. It has to be old. It has to be ancient. There has to be this antiquity uh, with it. So again, a lot of people want to know, like, well, what about the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Judas? Why aren't those in there? It's because they're late. It's they're super late. The Gospels we have are likely written between 50, you know, or right there in that first century. Uh, the other Gospels are written in the second century. This is 50 to 100 years or more time separating these, what we call Gnostic Gospels from Canon Gospels or Orthodox Gospels. So, you know, why aren't those in there? It's because they were just too late to be included. They, they weren't part of this. And so these are the criteria. You put all these things together and you end up with, um, you end up with the Canon. Do I have any pictures? Did I put any pictures in there, Mason? Or no? no, perfect. I decided I wasn't going to have time. I was right. All right. Uh, I want to close with this. this. This simple thought, a couple verses here. The word of God is recognizable. 
Here, here's what I, I'm firmly uh, convinced of, is that God's word is recognizable. The reason we have the canon today and the reason the Bible has stood the test of time is because there is something inherently powerful in the inspired word of God as it was written by men and now has been collected by the faithful. We start to see glimpses of this happen in the very earliest of the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 27. Paul says this. He says, I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter is to be read to all of them. I mean, that's kind of a bold statement for Paul to say, listen, I want you to take time out of your church service and I want you to read my letter to everybody. Why? It's because Paul has this sense that this isn't his message, it's God's message. He makes it even clearer in 1 Corinthians 7, where he'll say this, he'll say, I have no command of the Lord, but I give my opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. You see, Paul has this sense, and I don't know if he can feel God's spirit coming on him or if he's just so convinced uh, by, by what he knows about Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'm about to tell you something, and he says this with great authority, I'm about to tell you something that is straight from God himself. And then he has the clarity at other times to say, listen, I don't have a word from God for you, but I have my opinion, and so I'll give that to you, but that's just my opinion. You see, there's this sense, I think, within the New Testament that we get glimpses that God is at work and these people are aware. I don't think Paul understood that he was going to write what would effectively become, you know, like the next Torah for the New Covenant. But I think he knew that he was doing something, saying something specifically from God. We see this also definitely hinted at in 2 Peter chapter 3 where um, they write this, Therefore, beloved, while you're waiting for these things, that's the coming of the Lord, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, some people will say, well, he's not necessarily equating Paul's writing with scriptures. No, but he's saying it like in the same breath. Like people will twist Paul's writings as they do the scriptures. But you get the sense that this very early letter, they're like, man, there's something special and unique about these letters that have been passed around by Paul. Why is it? It's because God's word is recognizable. So what do we do with this information? This word of God has been recognizable so much so that of all the letters, and there were a lot passed around, and all the Gospels, and there were a lot passed around, today we have these as collected in the New Testament canon because people said there is something special and unique about this book, about this letter, about this Gospel. There's something recognizable about it. There's something so recognizable about it that people have even given their lives to guard and to preserve Scripture. People risked their lives to smuggle it into countries and still do to get it into places where the gospel is forbidden. They're saying, you know what? It is worth my life to take this book into this place. Why? Because God's word is recognizable, is powerful, and we should have confidence in it. So if that's true, let me give you one of two challenges. For those of you that are Christ followers, man, read it. Like, God didn't, like, give it to us, write it down, have it collected and preserved over 2,000 years so you could just, like, let it collect dust on your table. Read it. 
And this year, read with us as we go through the story. That'll be a great way. If you've never read through the Bible before, I tell you, this will bless you. If you've read through the Bible before, this will bless you because it goes along at a pace you can kind of keep everything together in your mind. Join us for the story. Read it. And then I want to give one more, one more challenge to those of you that are maybe not Christ followers and you've got doubts about these things. Read God's word for yourself. Like, read it for yourself. Like, I really believe that if it is inspired by God, it's filled with his power, and it has been collected through these years, that as you read it, I think it will change your life. And so I would challenge you, if you're new and you're here and, and you're coming along, you say, well, read with us through the story. That's great. If, if you don't have that kind of attention span, you're like, there's no way I'm reading the whole thing. Pick up John's gospel. Just start there and allow him to tell you about his friend Jesus, who he saw with his own eyes. And then maybe skip over to his letter there in 1 John as he talks about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And try this, say, a simple prayer. God, hey, listen, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I'm going to read this word. Would you speak to me in this place, in this moment, in this time? And, and I believe that God will meet you there in that. So if God's word is recognizable and it's been collected for us, let's read it. Let's engage it. Let's use it. Why don't you stand? I want to pray. God, thank you so much for your word that's been filled with your power, that's inspired by your spirit, that's, that's written by people, Lord, in a way that makes it approachable and, and understandable and relatable. And God, I thank you that it has been preserved and saved for us for these, gosh, these so many years, or thousands of years, this has been kept for us. It, it's a treasure for us. So Lord, this, this year as we begin our, our study of the story, would you help us to develop a passion for it? Not that we would come to your word, Lord, and look at it as something dry that we have to do, Lord, but that we would look at it as a gift, as your very words given to us. Make us hungry for it, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, this morning, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to sing a song. and um, If you need some time to pray, we invite you to come back there. If you've got questions about anything we've talked about, I'll be here. You go there. Talk to your friends. Uh, but let's, let's use this time. Let's do that. Let's sing. He who was before there was life Walked across the pages of time He who made every living Blind, the lost and the lame Even now 
been great worshiping with you today. I'm glad that you're here. Um, don't forget, community group leaders, stop by after. Um, join us for our meeting as we talk about the story. Uh, don't forget to get your story copy. Sign up for a group. If you're visiting, pay attention. Don't just jet out the door. Stop by Get Central. We've got a gift for you. Love to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, let me close with a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. God, you are so good to us. You have given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your son, you've held nothing back from us. So God, this week, Lord, would we hold nothing back from you? Would you meet us in the places where we work, in our homes, in our lives, in our conversations? And God, would you make us mindful of your presence? Lord, would you help us to be aware that you are there always filling us with your power, speaking to us? Give us ears to hear you this week, Jesus.